Well, good morning, Grace Church. Hey, thank you. That's very nice. Uh, it's Easter still. I, know, I don't know if you know this, but if you weren't here last week or you thought Easter was only last week, turns out Easter is all the time, every time. We have a risen God. He's alive and he's on the loose in the world. So this is good news. Now's the part where, yes, thank you, Lord. And so today we're going to continue talking about this, this miracle because, you know, Good Friday... We talked about how Jesus was crucified for our sins, for our transgressions, not because he did anything wrong or he didn't live up to anybody's expectations, but because he restored the relationship that we can now have with God the Father by paying the penalty and dying the death we should have died. But then on the third day, he rose again and he sealed the promise, giving us faith and confidence that he can do the impossible. And so we come to him today celebrating uh, not just one time and, well, we already covered that. No, it's, it's all the time. As followers of Jesus, we follow the risen Jesus all the time. Now, I don't know if uh, you have ever missed out on something that, uh, that you wish that maybe you would have been there for. Um, I, I think we have, well, at least today, we now have a term for it. It's called FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Am I the only one that knows this? Fear, fear of missing out? I mean, I can't possibly be that far ahead of the trend here, but trust me. So FOMO, all right? We're going to use that. So now that's your free definition, fear of missing out. So I don't know about you, but I seem to have a chronic case of FOMO. And this is nothing new for me. I've I've kind of had this going for a long time. And so I was thinking about, well, what, what would be a good thing to share with you that I could kind of summarize that? And I remember when I was 16 years old, I loved my favorite band was a band, ready for it? Rush. Nothing, really? I mean, Rush? Come on. That's just pity applause. I mean, I know, I mean, if you knew who Rush was, you'd be a lot more excited. So anyway, I always wanted to see this band, right? The, the drummer was outstanding. I wanted to go and see this. I play the drums, so this was just, it was like perfect. Well, I grew up just south of Des Moines, Iowa, and I heard that Rush was coming to do a concert in Kansas City, Missouri. 16 years old, I don't have any idea why my parents let me do what I'm about to explain, but somehow... They approved me and a group of friends to go down to Kansas City to this particular concert. Okay, so we went. And now I had never been to a concert before, so I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how it worked. I really didn't know much of anything. I just knew that, wow, we are a lot further away from the stage than I expected. Way, way up at the top. And so at some point in the concert, you know, it was great, whatever, but at some point I needed to use the restroom, all right? So I walk all do, 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 all the way down, go out, go to the restroom, and on my way back in, before I get to where the, the seating area is, I hear Getty Lee, lead singer of Rush, who uh, says, thank you, good night, okay? Or I guess since it's Getty Lee, if you do know the band, it's more like, thank you, good night, but... Uh, You'll have to look it up. <laughs> anyway, I thought the show was over. I thought that was it. So my friends and I had agreed with one another before we ever went in there that, hey, look, if, if we get separated from one another or anything like that, then we'll just meet at the car in the parking lot. 
Okay? So I'm looking up at the stands and I'm thinking, why would I walk all the way back up there if I'm just going to turn around and walk all the way back out to the parking lot? So I went out to the parking lot. And I thought, I'll meet him out there. Well, by the time I get to the car in the parking lot, the crowd goes wild and the band starts playing again, right? I didn't know that the show wasn't over. So I can hear, it's all muffled. I can't hear anything that's going on. I can't get back in the arena. They won't let me back in. So I, of course, this is what I'm talking about, my case of FOMO. That show on that tour in that city was the longest they played on the entire tour. So they played for an entire another hour, played all the songs I wanted to hear. I didn't hear any of them. And so then I had to ride home with my friends who continued to tell, I can't believe you missed it. I can't believe you. I mean, you really should have seen it. It was amazing. And so I had this overwhelming sense of FOMO. I missed out. And now they weren't going to let me live it down. But what about you? What have you missed out on? What have you, when it comes to your life and the things that you do, what, what, what do you get concerned like, oh man, I'm going to miss out. I don't want to miss out. Where do you have a bad case of FOMO? Well, today, like I mentioned, we're continuing. We're talking about the resurrected and risen Jesus who's not dead. He's alive. He's on the loose in the world. This is true, as true today as it was then. And so we're going to be talking all about that. And we're going to talk specifically, last week we talked about how Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the empty tomb. And she had a conversation with him. And she saw him, experienced him. And, and, and then she went back and told the others. Well, now we're going to talk about how Jesus then appeared to his bigger group of disciples, uh, and we're going to see how this all played out. Now, there were 12 original disciples, and we only have 10 of them at this appearance when Jesus comes and is with this bigger group. There's only 10. Now, one of them, this probably doesn't surprise you, Judas Iscariot, he's gone because he betrayed Jesus, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, and uh, he ultimately killed himself, and so he's long gone. So th then there was 11. There's only 10 that were there because this one poor other guy, Thomas, he missed it. He wasn't there. And so Jesus came, appeared to his disciples, had a conversation with them, and Thomas was not there. So we'll get back to that in just a minute. But before, let, actually, before we dive into this any further, let's just pray together here and ask the Lord to be with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing your body together. We thank you that you're alive that you have not left us to live our lives by ourselves. You've not orphaned us, but instead, Lord, you, you come to guide us and lead us, to save us, to restore us, to renew us, to bring us into new life. And we ask that you do exactly that right now in these moments. Lord, may these not be my words, but may they be your word that does what it says. We ask, Lord, that you kill the old and bring the new to life. That we come to know you better and grow in our relationship with you more than we ever have so that we can be closer to you. Lord, we know that, that you are our source of hope. You are our source of light. You are our source of life. And so knowing that, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that, that you have this moment to, to do your work in each of us. Reveal your truth to us and do the work that only you can do in these moments that we have together. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, so last week we talked about Easter, the resurrection, uh, and, and we looked at John chapter 20. And so John chapter 20, we looked at verses 1 to 18. Today, we're going to continue in John chapter 20, looking at the rest of the chapter, verses 19 to 31. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn it to John chapter 20. Otherwise, uh, uh, the scripture will be on the screen as well, or you can look on your phone. But if you're looking at a device or you're looking at it in your Bible, you will notice that these verses we're going to be talking about today are kind of divided up into little chunks. In, there's three sections, basically. There's this, this first part, 19 to 23, then there's the second part, 24 to 29, and then there's kind of like this, this little narrator summary uh, at the end. And uh, so we'll talk about each of these, but the, the reason I'm telling you that it's separated is because 19 to 23 is still the same day as what we talked about last week. This is still on the, the day of the resurrection, that this is where it all starts. Now remember, like I mentioned, Jesus had met Mary Magdalene in the empty tomb. He had revealed himself to her. She recognized him after he called her by name, Mary. Then she realizes, oh, it's him. And he, he says to her, now go and tell the others. And so she goes to tell, well, look at verse 18. This is from, from last week. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples, just like Jesus had told her to, with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So she had gone to the rest of the disciples and she had said, look, I've seen the Lord. All right? And so now we're, we're, we're picking this up in verse 19 where uh, they've, they've heard Mary say this, but let's take a look at how they've responded to this particular good news. Uh, because if she came back, and she told them what she had experienced. And she mentioned that she had met the risen Jesus. Then shouldn't they be high-fiving, celebrating? Shouldn't they be declaring victory? Shouldn't they be running around saying, Aha! It's true! Jesus is alive! But look at what happens in verse 19. We see the first part here. Uh, on the evening of the first day of the week, again, this is the same day, evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, listen to this, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. The doors were locked. They were quarantined. We know something about quarantine, right? We, we stay in a place because we're trying to make sure that we're not being too dangerous and putting ourselves at risk. They're doing the same thing. They're quarantined in this place. The doors are locked. They were hiding. And they were terrified. They were very afraid. And so we think about that, and we, when we sometimes think, well, what have they got to be afraid about? Well, think about this. The last few days for these folks has been pretty tough. They, they saw their leader arrested uh, they saw him beaten, tortured, crucified, and, and even worse, he had just sort of handed himself over without even really putting up a fight. He just sort of willingly went with them. So as far as they knew, he was dead and gone. He was dead. And it was even worse than that now because the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty, and you and I celebrate that as good news. Amen, the tomb is empty. To them, this was not good news. They, it's just adding insult to injury. They figured, well, now someone, it's bad enough that he's dead. Now someone has stolen his body. So when Mary comes back and tells them what she has seen and what she has heard, 
They do anything but celebrate. They're still, the doors are still locked. They're still hiding. They're still afraid. Okay, keep, keep that in mind. We'll, we'll come back to this. But maybe when Mary told him, look, I've seen the Lord. He's talked to me. He was there uh, and shares all these things with him. Maybe they thought, well, you know, she's just trying to make us feel better. She's just trying to cheer us up. Or, or maybe they thought, well, maybe she's just imagining things. You know, maybe she hasn't eaten in a while. Maybe she's seeing things that aren't real. Or maybe they thought, well, she's just so overcome by her grief and she just doesn't even know how to process this. And so she's coming back here and she's, she's you know, running her mouth, speaking about stuff. She, she has no idea what she's really talking about. They didn't really know, but they did know one thing. There was one thing they knew for sure, and that was the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty, and they had anything but peace about that. That did not bring them comfort. That did not bring them comfort. And so Jesus knows this. Of course, he's Jesus. He knows. And so in verse 19, the second part here, we'll pick this up. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now think about this. Jesus comes to this locked room where they're all hiding away and they're afraid. He doesn't knock on the door and say, hey, let me in. He just comes in and he's with them. He's, his resurrected body is not bound by the same limitations that we have. So he just stands amongst them right in the middle of their fear, right in the middle of them being confused, what, what in the world is happening? Right in the middle of their grief and their disappointment, Jesus comes right in the middle of all of that and stands shoulder to shoulder with them in their fear. And he could have, let's be honest, based on what had happened over the last few days, he could have showed up and said, you know, I really chose poorly when I picked out disciples. You know, I mean, first of all, you couldn't stay awake. I asked you in the garden, just stay awake. You couldn't even stay awake. Then when it, the going gets tough, you're like rats off the ship. You couldn't abandon me fast enough. You betrayed me. You rejected me. You told people, I don't even know. I wasn't with him. I don't know. He doesn't speak for me. But he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't show up and he doesn't condemn his disciples. He doesn't say, well, guess what? I got a bunch of, uh, the, remember the soldiers that came to get me? They're standing right outside the door. Now it's your turn. Because that's what they were afraid of. They were afraid that they were next. And Jesus comes and stands amongst them in the middle of their fear. And he says, peace, peace be with you. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't demand submission. He doesn't demand even an apology. He just offers his peace to them. He, he shows up. And he shows them his wounds. He shows them his hands and his side. And essentially what he's saying is, look what I have done for you. Look what I have done for you. Look what I have done for you to give you the kind of peace that you couldn't have any other way. Peace be with you. And so notice, after they heard him speak and they saw his wounds, did you catch that word that says the disciples were overjoyed, overjoyed? Now, you and I hear that word overjoyed, and we, we probably think that means, well, they were just really happy, right? Because 
That's kind of the way that we would understand that. But I want to look at that a little bit further because that's actually a pretty limiting understanding of, of what is really happening here. Overjoyed, really the word, the Greek word that's behind that means fully immersed in God's grace. Or, or maybe a better way to say that would be they were delighting in God's grace. Delighting in God's grace. The grace of God, the mercy of God, the miracle of the resurrection was all happening right there because Jesus was there with them. He was present with them. So even though he had every right to be upset with them, even though uh, he could have made all kinds of, of condemnatory statements or demanded that they shape up or scold them in any way, he gives them peace. And he gives them peace by being present with them. Now, isn't it interesting that Mary had come back she had said, I've seen the Lord. She had this experience essentially herself, relays it to them, and they are unmoved by that. The doors are still locked. They wanted to have their own experience with Jesus. They weren't going to believe what Mary had to say about it. They needed to experience it for themselves. And so Jesus, he shows up. He shows up and he says, peace be with you. And it's, it's therefore the case that the presence of Jesus is what moves us from being doubters to disciples. It's the presence. Sometimes we, we get caught up and we think, well, it's, it's the empty tomb. Well, the empty tomb is just part of it, right? The tomb is empty. That's good news. But it's the presence of Jesus that moves us from being doubters to disciples. And when we see and when we experience Jesus for ourselves, maybe not exactly in this same way, but when we experience the presence of Jesus for ourselves, that's when we become his true disciples. That's when we move away from all of our doubts and into being his true, his true followers. And so, like I said, the locked doors did not deter him. No matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you might be facing, no, ma no matter what your challenges are, no matter what your struggles are, no matter what you think you might be able to hide from God, including hide yourself from God, hear this, Jesus is determined to get to you. No matter what, he's coming for you. Just like these locked doors were no deterrent to him whatsoever. He came and stood among them in the middle of their fear. He doesn't wait for us to figure it out. He doesn't ask us to stuff it way down and pretend like everything is a-okay even when it isn't. He comes in the middle of the storms of our lives and he offers us peace. He comes to us when we're tired, when we're scared, when we feel overwhelmed, rejected, persecuted, when we're grief-stricken. No matter what it is, he's not afraid of that. Jesus is not frightened by what frightens us. He comes to us in the middle of our fears, in the middle of our circumstances. Sometimes in the middle of the three-ring circus we know as our lives, he comes and he stands with us and he offers us peace. This is not the end of the story. There is a reason for hope. And Mr. Resurrection himself has the ability to deliver that hope and he's the only one that can deliver that kind of peace. Peace with God. But that peace, this peace with God, this restored relationship with the creator of all, the creator of you and me and everything that exists, 
that for God to know us personally and for God to forgive us and to restore that relationship, it happened because of the work that Jesus did. He came to make it possible for us to be reconciled to God, and he did it. But that peace is not just meant for those disciples that he appeared to. It wasn't just even met for, for Mary that he met in the empty tomb. It wasn't meant just for uh, the 500 and some other odd folks that he, he appeared to after he was raised from the dead. And it's not even supposed to just be contained with you and me. He sends us out to be his deliverers of this good news. And so look at uh, starting verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. That's another, let's just have a side note here. You notice how he says, peace be with you more than one time? A lot of times you might think like, oh, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Peace be with you, yeah. The gospel message, yeah, I've heard all that. I'll check that out. No, Jesus already right in this interaction is telling us something about ourselves. We need to hear this over and over and over again. It's not a just, well, that's it. Yes, there's a time where we come into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. That's wonderful. But it doesn't end there. You don't check a box off and say, well, got that done. It's an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And so we need these words. We need his peace always. So his presence brings us this peace because he comes to us and says, peace be with you. But he sends them, notice this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then here's this interesting phrase, and with that, he breathed on them. This sounds very strange. We'll come back to that. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so he calls them, but not just them. He calls us too, to go out and be his messengers of this good news of God's forgiveness that is only possible through Jesus. He has paid the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross, and he has sealed the promise of new life in him by being raised from the dead. This is amazing. This is, this is the miracle of God at work. And so when he tells us, hey, just like the Father sent me, so I send you, well, now all of a sudden things get a little quiet. Well, what do you mean send me? I don't feel qualified to do that. What are you talking about? Especially when he's talking about all this forgiveness stuff. You go out, if you forgive somebody's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive somebody's sins, they're not forgiven. I mean, th this sounds like, what in the world are you talking about? I, I can't forgive somebody's sins. Only God can forgive sins. You're right. You are correct. Jesus is not sending us out there with our own power and our own strength to do the impossible. He is doing the impossible in us and through us. And he's doing it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening here when, he, when it says that Jesus breathed on them. A better translation actually would be he breathed into them because it recalls for us this this time at the very beginning of the Bible, during the creation account, where God created the first person out of the dust and the dirt, and then God, what? He breathed life into the man, and the man became a human being. Okay, so here we have John telling us, well, this 
is the time where it's a new creation. Through Jesus, all things are being made new. Jesus is bringing that new life into existence by giving these disciples the Holy Spirit. And so he's not sending them out there to do this work on their own, nor does he send you and I out there to do this work on our own. He sends us out when we know him and when we trust him, he sends us with the power of his Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God is living in us and is actually doing the work to forgive sinners. This is amazing news. But a lot of times we excuse ourselves from it because, well, we don't, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to impose on somebody. I don't want to tell them. This is a life or death situation. Somebody's eternity is at stake when we refuse to go out and be his messengers. And so if we're going to call ourselves disciples, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, and then at the same time say, I'm not willing to give that good news to anyone. I'm just going to keep it for myself. Then we've kind of missed the whole point here. God has chosen us to go out and to be his messengers in a world that he loves so much. And so this new creation, this new life, this, all of this stuff that's unfolding by the presence of Jesus being with his disciples, well, no wonder they're overjoyed. No wonder they are delighting in God's grace. No wonder they are amazed and awestruck at the awesomeness of God. How amazing would it have been to be there? I mean, have you thought about that? I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I get those kind of the feelings, the FOMO. I got FOMO. I, I wish I would have been there. I wish I would have been there to see this, to experience this for the first time. But you know who had the biggest case FOMO of all? Thomas. Thomas was not there. He missed it. Now, it doesn't ever tell us where he was. I mean, maybe they had sent him out for pizza or something. I mean, can you imagine the poor guy coming back and being like, all right, I got deep dish. Who's hungry? Hey, you're not going to believe what happened while you were gone. I mean, maybe he was out at the parking lot waiting for the concert to get, I don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. He missed it. He missed it. And Jesus came and Jesus was with him. And the presence of Jesus moved them from being doubters to disciples. Like we sang in the song a minute ago, turned their mourning into dancing, turned the grave into a garden. All of this happened because of Jesus' presence. And Thomas, he missed it. He missed it. Take a look. I'm just going to read this section, and then we'll go and talk about a couple things here, because I think poor Thomas sometimes gets a bad rap here. Uh, starting verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, again, a week later, notice like John tells us, this happened on the first day of the week, Sunday. So now it's a whole nother Sunday. Okay, so a week has gone. Let there be light. That's one way to shut it down, I guess. I mean, good night, or I guess good morning. Uh, okay, so a week later, his disciples were in the house again. It's been a whole week. This time, Thomas was with them. He was with them. Though the doors were locked, still locked. Remember that. Jesus came and stood among them, says the same kind of thing. Peace be with you. 
Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, like I mentioned, poor Thomas, I think it's a bad rap. Because think about it. it. Most of us know him as what? Exactly. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Subtext. Don't be like this guy. Don't be like this guy. But, but I think that, that is, that's a mistake. Because guess what? We're just like Thomas. We don't want to be like Thomas. We like to make him to be somebody so we can say, aha, at least I'm not like doubting Thomas. We are doubting Thomas. We are Thomas. Were, you, were any of us there? We weren't there. We didn't see the physical Jesus. We, he wasn't standing there offering for us to, to put our finger in his wounds. He wasn't showing us his hands. We missed it. And so Thomas, Thomas wants proof just like we want proof. We want to know, hey, is this for real or what? So Thomas gets labeled as this, this doubter, but really, isn't he just asking for the same thing that everybody else experienced? He really is just asking. He's not asking for anything more than what the others had experienced. He's asking to experience the same thing. He wants to know for himself. He wants his own experience. He wants to know for sure that this is all real. He doesn't want to just take their word for it. He wants to have the experience for himself. Now, we're not going to take a show of hands, but I think we do this on a somewhat regular basis. Have you ever, maybe you don't want to say it out loud, maybe it was just in your mind, but have you ever said to God, God, I will know that you're real, or God, I will believe in you if you would just do this one thing for me. If you would just do this one thing, then you would prove to me and I would never have any doubts again. So we kind of roll Thomas into that same category and say, look at all these demands that he's making. Look at all, I mean, why can't he just be satisfied? Why can't he just take the experience from from the other people who were there, who who did see this, who did experience, why can't that be good enough? Well, we can ask ourselves the same question. And the truth is that we all want to have our own experience with Jesus. We all want to experience Jesus for ourselves. We want the presence of Jesus. But notice how this pattern has repeated now a few times. Mary is in the empty tomb. Jesus shows up. They have the conversation. Uh, Jesus says to Mary, go tell the others. Well, she went and told the others. How'd that turn out? Well, it wasn't high fives and celebration. It was the doors were still locked and nobody went anywhere. They were still hiding and they were still afraid. They didn't have any idea what Mary was talking about, but they didn't want to buy into that at all. Well, then, so you talk about the original doubters. How about the disciples themselves? They, they say, well, yeah, I don't know about all that. We'll just wait. We'll wait it out here for a little while longer. Well, then Jesus shows up to them. He shows up to them, and then he gives them the peace of God, and then he says, here I am, uh, the, the raised and resurrected Jesus, just as promised, Mr. Resurrection, coming in their midst, right there. And what do they do? Well, they turn around and tell Thomas, using the exact same language as Mary used to tell them. They say, 
we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. You're not going to believe it. And Thomas says, you're right, I don't. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it unless I have the same experience. I'm not going to believe it unless I can uh, put my finger in his wounds and I can see him and I can talk to him. Because the presence of Jesus is what moves us from doubters to disciples. This is not something we can talk ourselves into. Requires the presence of Jesus to move us from where we are to where he wants to take us. He wants us to believe. He wants us to be certain. He wants us to have faith. And he gives us that faith by showing up to each of us. Maybe not in exactly the same way, but he is no less alive now than he was then. Okay, keep that in mind. Sometimes we forget that. But with Thomas, amazingly, Jesus gives him exactly what he asked for. He shows up. I think that's really cool. He shows up, and now remember, there's actually a reason for this. There's a reason why, number one, Jesus knew what Thomas really wanted, what Thomas really needed, and met him where he was at. That, that's good news in and of itself. But also, all of the apostles, all of the original, they were apostles because they had met the resurrected Jesus. So Jesus needed to meet Thomas anyway. Thomas became one of the most committed disciples of all of Jesus' disciples, going all the way to his own death, by the way. Somebody shoved a spear through his back. He started churches all over the place. India, there's still a church that is in India now that was originally started by this particular person. And so Thomas moved from doubter to disciple in a way like never before because of the presence of Jesus who came to him and gave him the peace of God and then sends him on the way. But imagine what that week was like for Thomas. Imagine him being the only one that missed out. Imagine how he's sitting there and these other guys and these other women are just rubbing it in. They're rubbing it in. I can't believe you missed this. But then Jesus came right through the locked doors, stood shoulder to shoulder with the people again, and gives the good news to Thomas himself. Now, Thomas's response, this is just a, a, a real uh, short uh, phrase, but it comes from this, this direct interaction with Jesus that couldn't be any more, I would call it, he calls the question. He, he, Jesus meets Thomas, and then he turns things around and puts it in Thomas's lap at this point. It happens right at the very end of verse 27 here. Uh, Jesus, after appearing, after Thomas sees, after he gives Thomas the peace, he shows him his scars, and then Jesus says this to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Now, it doesn't get much more direct than that. But even still, we got some problems here because we get wrapped up in this word doubt and we think it means, well, he, we think it means, well, he just must have a lot of questions. He's got questions. Well, I don't know about you, but I've got questions. Don't you have questions? If there's anybody that says, oh, I know everything. Well, those are the people I usually try to mm, 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 uh, get away from. But we don't have all the answers. 
We don't have everything figured out. We're on this journey together. And when we are on the journey in the presence of Jesus, who leads us and guides us with the presence of his Holy Spirit, well, then we're doing it together. We're doing it as a community. We're doing it with Jesus. But we don't have it all figured out. And so sometimes when we hear this word doubt, we think, oh, well, that just means he, he has questions and Jesus is telling him, don't have any more questions and just believe. But that's actually not the words that are used in Greek here. Again, remember John, his whole gospel is laying out these contrasts, day, night, darkness, light, death, life. Here's the same phrasing here. Even though it's translated stop doubting and believe, really a better translation would be stop being an unbeliever and believe in me. That's what Jesus is saying to Thomas. Not that I've answered every single question that you've ever had. It's more like I've come to you. I've given you the peace of God. That's more than enough for you to stop being an unbeliever and be a believer. That's what we should understand. Now, in response to that, Thomas, the one who we just said usually gets labeled as, don't be like that guy. Well, listen to what he says. He responds to Jesus saying, stop being an unbeliever and believe. And Thomas gives one of the most direct and unconditional confessions in all of Scripture. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. He is the first one to identify Jesus as Lord and God in this way. Thomas, the guy who missed it, the guy who had FOMO. Jesus came to him. The presence of Jesus moved him from doubter to disciple. My Lord and my God. So turns out Thomas is actually, in the grand scheme of all this, the one who gets it the most right. Think about that. Matter of fact, John tells us this is the entire point of him writing the gospel. If you look, jump down to verses 30 and 31. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now, here's the important part, verse 31. But these are written, including this whole experience with the disciples, including the whole experience with Mary, including the whole experience with Thomas, including all of the experiences that we have talked about in the first four chapters of John, all of those things he has recorded and chosen specifically and put in his gospel for this purpose, so that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the question today is, do you believe? Do you believe? Now, I'm not talking about, well, I've known Jesus all my life. Of course I believe. I'm talking about for real. Do you believe? Do you know with certainty, not by your own logical or reasonable exercise, but do you know by the power of the faith that God has given you as a gift through his grace, has something come alive in you, in your heart, and responds to that question, do you believe with my Lord and my God? My Lord and my God. Do you, do you understand that that is who Jesus is. 
And there might be some resistance. Maybe some, some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard anything about Jesus. But for others of you, maybe you've been followers of Jesus for as long as you can remember. Again, remember, Jesus showed up how many times? Several times giving the disciples the same message over and over again. Peace be with you. We need to hear it again and again. So maybe for you, it's not coming into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's recommitting yourself to the relationship that you already have. Or maybe it's, I believe, I trust, but I want to grow deeper. I still do have questions. I'm still on a journey, and I want to be on that journey with Jesus. Wherever you are today, the question is, do you believe? Will, will you stop being an unbeliever? Whatever that looks like for you, will you stop being an unbeliever? And will you believe in him? Will you recognize him and receive him as your Lord and your God? Verse 29, this is Jesus talking to Thomas. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Now here's this interesting phrase that I think is meant for you and for me, for all who came after these disciples. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And when we first hear that, we think like that's Jesus rebuking Thomas. That's Jesus saying, I can't believe you needed this. That's what we tend to think, like, like he's scolding him or something. But I want us to rethink that. I want us to think about it as encouragement. This is encouragement for us who don't physically see Jesus. So we might conclude, well, he's absent. He's gone. And even if we believe he's alive, we don't know where he is. Well, that's what I think is being addressed here. Blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen. But well, we see Jesus right now. We see Jesus not in the same way, but we see Jesus every time, every time we read and study and meditate on the word of God, every time we, we get together and we pray with one another, every time we seek God and ask him to come into our lives and to fill us by the power of his Holy Spirit, to lead and guide us out into the world that he loves so much. We see Jesus. We see Jesus when we're together. We see Jesus when we gather in his name. We see Jesus when we're, when we're not just when we're coming to church, but when we are taking Jesus from church to the world. We are seeing Jesus when we're serving one another, when we're loving one another, when we're coming together and being his hands and feet. We, we see Jesus. Will, will you be his messenger? Because if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to move from, from being a doubter to being a disciple, then part of that means going on the mission that Jesus has already started to continue the work that he's already come and started. Now we get the opportunity to be a part of it. He's present, he's alive, and he's with us. And so therefore, there's, there's actually no reason for us to have FOMO once we know that he's come for us. He's come for us. He's come for us to forgive us, to restore us, and to lead us and to guide us into becoming the people that he's created us to be. And so what are the doubts or the fears or the objections that you brought with you today? 
that you need to set aside because Jesus is coming to you right now in these moments and saying, stop being an unbeliever and believe in me. Will you confess him as your Lord and your God? It's only possible through the presence of Jesus who's here right now with us because the presence of Jesus moves us from doubters to disciples. He's alive. He's with us. Will you turn to him and receive him as your Lord and your God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness. We thank you that with you nothing is impossible. And even when we have questions, and even when we have doubts, and even when we, we wonder, even when we're afraid, even when we're facing unbelievable circumstances in our world and in our life, even when we're sick, even when we're sad, even when we're overcome with grief, Lord, you do not leave us to figure it out for ourselves. You don't ask us to pretend like it's not real. You ask us to come to you and give it to you because you come to us. You're not afraid of what we are afraid of. Lord, you, you come to us and you give us peace. I don't know what else to say other than thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for rescuing us. Now we ask that you just continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you may illuminate our lives with the Word who is Jesus. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.